Hi there. Welcome to Mission Audition. I'm Stephanie Cicerelli. And I'm Juliana Lance. And today we're going to be talking about audiobook narration. We have a wonderful special guest with us. It is Ileana Katterson. She's a narrator. She's done a lot of work that you've probably heard. And um, we're just so grateful that you're here with us today. Ileana, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your career? I was doing acting in theater and film and TV and also in music in New York, but I started a voiceover career doing commercials and promos and all sorts of varied types of voice performance. But I remember the first day that I heard The Alchemist read by Jeremy Irons, and I just suddenly became aware of this whole other arena and universe of voice performing, which was audiobook narration. And I said to my agent, That is something I think I would really like to do. I love telling stories, and I love this idea of playing all the characters and points of view. What is this? And this is sort of the part of the story that people can't quite believe. But my first audition was for the Twilight Saga. Stephanie Meyer's first of the four series, Twilight, went in and auditioned and booked it, and that was my first job, which led to doing the whole series, which changed not only my life personally, but, you know, as an actor and voice performer, because it became globally known. And it definitely made me fall in love with telling uh, these stories through audiobooks. Wow, what a great first credential to have under your belt, eh? It's a pretty unusual entrance, I will admit. That would be a very high profile one at that, too. So as we go through the show, I just want to set us up to understand that there's not just one winner in this episode, there are two. So we're going to be hearing from male and female narrators. They'll be reading two different excerpts from the same book. The book is The Princess and the Goblin. It is by George MacDonald. We're looking at a book that comes from like the late 1800s. So author was Scottish. There's a bit of that air to it. So as we're listening, uh, I think we're in for a treat. There might even be mm-hmm. some accents. Yeah, if I'm not. there's some good ones. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Yeah, it's um, children's fantasy is the genre of this book. That's a specific genre. Every genre of audiobooks ask for something different from the narrator. So children's, there's a lot of things that fall under children's books. You know, there's more realistic children's books. There's fantasy. There's teaching lessons and education. So there's so many nuances of genre. And what I hope to, you know, help unearth today is just what this genre specifically asks of the narrators. Well, I'm excited, very excited to hear these auditions. And just to give you guys an idea of what we're doing for the creative direction, you should take on the style of a narrator and read it in an enticing and entertaining way to captivate a young audience. Uh, It should be read in a whimsical way also, and you should differentiate a character's voice from that of the narrator. So look for that. And the author of the book was Scottish, so we are open to hearing any talent who speaks English regardless of accent. All right, let's roll the first audition. Perhaps my readers may be wondering what the goblins could be about, working all night long, seeing they never carried up the ore and sold it. But what I have informed them concerning what Curdie learned the very next night, they will be able to understand. For Curdie had determined, if his father would permit him, to remain there alone this night, and that for two reasons. First, he wanted to get extra wages in order that he might buy a very warm red petticoat for his mother, who had begun to complain of the cold of the mountain air sooner than usual this autumn. And second, he had just a faint glimmering hope of finding out 
what the goblins were about under his window the night before. When he told his father, he made no objection, for he had great confidence in his boy's courage and resources. "'I'm sorry I can't stay with you,' said Peter, "'but I want to go and pay the parson a visit this evening. "'And besides, I've had a bit of a headache all day.' Well, "'I'm sorry for that, father,' said Curdy. "'Oh, it's not much. "'You'll be able to take care of yourself, won't you?' "'Yes, father, I will. "'I'll keep a sharp lookout, I promise you.' All right. Well, what do we think? Ileana, you're up first. (laughs) All right. Well, I just thought I would tell a little bit of the frame of which I'm going to be listening to people's narration today, just so people understand how I'm responding, that I'm listening to the approach, their overall approach to the narration, their distinction and agility with creating characters and being in dialogue uh, with them, and then just their overall appropriateness of their voice and style for this genre. That's what I was listening to. And this narrator has a lovely voice. I mean, a beautiful, rich, bassy voice, which does seem very appropriate for the genre. I did feel that in the overall narration, there was a choppiness in the pacing. Mm. And not knowing this narrator very well, I don't know if it's a technical issue, meaning breath, lack of breath support, that made their read a little sort of choppy and maybe too many breaths, or that they just didn't have enough inflection or smoothness to that overall narration. When you're talking about breath support, what does that look like for for someone who's performing? Audiobook narration is a marathon as opposed to a sprint. So with marathons, your breath has to really sustain. It has to allow you to not do a lot of choppiness, let's say, on a line or an idea or an interaction. You just have to have much more sustain than you would in commercial copy. So I just felt that overall the narration just needed some more support and a little bit more inflection. When he got into the characters, there was some change in the voice, but I did feel it could have been a little bit more distinct. Mm, Yeah, I had a hard time knowing which one was the character and which one was the narrator. Yeah, I think that overall this narrator could have benefited from letting this genre guide him a little bit more, more specificity of the child fantasy genre would have brought his voice maybe into a different place. But again, a lovely bassy voice that could be very appropriate for this kind of book, but it just needed some more technique. One of the best pieces of feedback that talent gave us is they love to hear examples. So when you're mm. thinking like, I could, I would like it to sound less choppy, could you give us an example of what you would like it to sound like? Well, in the overall narration, you have to remember, I think sometimes people think narration is throwaway and that when they get to the characters, that's when they really give that timing and pacing and everything. And they kind of narration line after line happens sometimes with exposition, sometimes building suspense. And you have to be just as in command of your tempo and your breath. It creates, you know, every narrator is going to do that slightly differently, but that sustain and that control makes you feel like they are in control of their voice. This just felt a little maybe too pedestrian. It needed some polish and more distinction of character. Every narrator is going to bring something different to the same story. There's not one way of doing this, but there are ways and techniques that make narrators more engaging than others. 
I guess my next question then, Ileana, is when you're narrating an audiobook, how do you differentiate the characters from the narrator? Like, how do you make that switch in your brain? So again, this is when genre and the style of book is very impactful on that kind of decision between the narrator and your director, if you also have one of those. Sometimes the narrator and the characters will be in more contemporary modern fiction will be not so far apart. But when you're in more stylized or fantasy or other things, there can sometimes be larger distinctions. But overall, whatever is being asked of you you're going to make a technical shift in your voice, meaning you might pitch it to a different register. You might change the pacing, the way that character or that narrator speaks versus the character in the scene. Their point of view and their attitude and their emotions are different. The narrator may just be this omniscient, godlike voice that's telling the story, and then you get into a conversation between a mother and a daughter or two friends. So there has to be enough of a distinction that the audience knows, but nothing too distracting based on the genre and what's being asked. So it should be kind of fitting in the pocket of the book. Now, those are great insights. I think it's time to listen to our second audition. Perhaps my readers may be wondering what the goblins could be about, working all night long, seeing they never carried up the ore and sold it. But when I have informed them concerning what Curdy learned the very next night, they will be able to understand. For Curdy had determined, if his father would permit him, to remain there alone this night. And for two reasons. First, he wanted to get extra wages in order that he might buy a very warm red petticoat for his mother, who had begun to complain of the cold mountain air sooner than usual this autumn. And second, he had just a faint glimmering of hope of finding out what the goblins were about under his window the night before. When he told his father, he made no objection for he had great confidence in his boy's courage and resources. I'm sorry to say I can't stay with you, said Peter, but I want to go pay the parson a visit this evening. And besides, I've had a bit of a headache all day. I'm sorry for that, father, said Curdie. Oh, it's not much. You'll be sure to take care of yourself, won't you? Yes, father, I will. I'll keep a sharp lookout, I promise you. Wow. I loved the separation of the narrator's voice from the two characters there, Curdie and his father. That and, Well, the accent. I mean, yeah, the, accent the accent always gets me. That's a good one. <laughs> but it was just because that's a technique, too. I'm sure that you, you know very well, Eliana, is to separate between the characters. Um, what do you think? So overall, yes, the accent was incredibly charming and nicely consistent. But I also actually liked the timber of his voice, the timbre however you pronounce that, actually. It was both bassy, but he had texture in his voice. So it wasn't just sort of general baritone-ness. It had a texture in the throat. It was just an interesting voice to listen to. I found the narration very inviting. It invited me in to listen. It drew me in, and it was playful with the material. That's when an, a, a narrator and a genre get into a marriage with each other, when that mm. narrator really lets themselves be enveloped by that genre. So there was a lot of playfulness. I thought the pacing was nice in this read. Nice distinction in his characters, like the ages of the characters. You knew if someone was older, if they were younger, what the attitude of that character was. Um, 
I think just overall a very appropriate voice for this genre. I would say just be careful with accents. You still have to have a command of your diction. So the challenge is just that sometimes an accent can make certain words be less crisp. So I would say if there was any critique for this narrator of just really make sure that the diction is also there, but great inflection and emphasis that left me very engaged. In the uh, artistic direction, it says, uh, read it in an enticing and entertaining way to captivate a young audience. I genuinely felt like I was sitting beside my grandpa as he's reading me a bedtime story listening to that. I could have just for hours just sat there. Ideally, the voice should draw the ear of the listener. Mm -hmm. And that is something you can teach, but it's also something that's very innate. Some actors, and this is not just for audiobooks, this is for actors and theater and film, and because this is acting, audiobook narration is acting like any other kind of acting. So some actors just really have a command of their voice and know how to draw the ear to them and what they're saying. And other people just have to get more practice at it. You know, people always say, how do I know if I can do this? And I was like, um, go read to you the try. Well, I said also <laughs> go read to the blind and to oh, at yeah. senior centers. And I was like, if you can't if you can't do that, <laughs> you can't do this. Oh, that's such a great idea. Mm-hmm. You, you know, get back in, you get to know yourself a little bit better. And they want it, you know, like children, seniors, people, you know, blind and disabilities, like they love being read to. So it's a good thing to test out your comfort level. And you go, oh, if you walk away from that and go, oh, no, I can't can't do that. That was uncomfortable. Or I loved that. I want to do more. Talk about an honest litmus test that if you can keep a child's attention as you're reading to them, you can probably do audiobook. Yeah. I'm a member of the Screen Actors Guild, um, the big actors union, and they send actors into the schools. So I years ago read at preschools through this, they call it the Screen Actors Guild uh, Book Pals program. So I went in and read books and they were like, these children were like little jumping beans. And I was like, okay, I'm going to have to really pull out all the stops. And I like read to them and like created all these crazy characters. And just like, I was like, yeah, if I could keep their attention, we were good. Yeah, definitely. Oh, that's adorable. Well, well done. I don't know who that was, but it was quite well done. Uh, Now we have our, our third auditioner here. Perhaps my readers may be wondering what the goblins could be about working all night long seeing they never carried up the ore and sold it. But when I have informed them concerning what Curdy learned the very next night, they would be able to understand. For Curdy had determined, if his father would permit him, to remain there alone this night, and that for two reasons. First, he wanted to gain extra wages in order that he might buy a very warm red petticoat for his mother, who had begun to complain of the cold of the mountain air sooner than usual this autumn. And second, he had just a faint glimmering of hope of finding out what the goblins were about under his window the night before. When he told his father, he made no objection, for he had great confidence in the boy's courage and resources. I'm sorry I can't stay with you, said Peter, but I wanted to go and pay the parson a visit this evening. And besides, I've had quite a bit of a headache all day. I'm sorry about that, father, said Curdie. Oh, it's not much. You'll be able to take care of yourself, won't you? Oh, yes, father, I will. I'll keep a sharp lookout, I promise you. So different than the last one. So a classic example of people bringing different things to the table. This is obviously a very youthful sounding voice, a youthful male voice brought a higher pacing, more sort of youthful energy to the read. 
I guess I found that in his overall narration, I found that the youthfulness and the energy was nice. It was a different way of doing it, and it was nice. I guess maybe at times there was a little bit too much neutrality, and I wanted a little bit more of a point of view of the narrator. Now, a narrator can sometimes be very matter-of-fact, or sometimes a narrator is the voice of a character in their head. You know, narrators are many things. But I think in children's fantasy like this is, this narrator still needs to have, even though it can sound omniscient and it's giving you the overall plot and action, I just felt like maybe he was could have been more playful, a little bit more engaged, but he had a nice youthful energy. He did a nice job with the son. I liked his mm-hmm. son because he has that nice youthful energy. The father, I heard him starting to find the father in his voice, and mm-hmm. I think he just needed to perhaps discover where is that mature sound in me? Everyone's mature sound is going to be different. Everyone's youthful sound is going to be different. So for some actors, it's just a matter of they need to do a little bit of that work of if I am going to play a mature character, how does that sound? Because we don't want a stereotype of older. That character, that father, has a point of view and an attitude. So you need to play how he's feeling, not a stereotype of an older person. Hmm. So... That's something to think about. But overall, I could see this narrator being good for maybe a young adult series, maybe a more modern children's book. I'm not sure about a classic children's book for this particular narrator. But, you know, again, there's a lot of different approaches you could have. Something that struck me as you spoke was about the point of view and how a narrator can have one. Sometimes we get the impression that the narrator is supposed to be so removed from what's going on that they have no opinion or that they aren't biased. Just wondering if you can share with us what that actually means for a narrator to have a point of view and where that point of view does not cross over into bias. Well, I'll start by giving you the example that in a book, in a specific genre where there can be narrators that are just giving you exposition, the vase was on the table It was a dark, cold night. He drove up in his car. They're giving you exposition. They're just kind of telling you the unfolding action, setting the scene. In that case, a sense of just a clear, neutral voice that's in the style of the book is fine. There doesn't need to be emotion and a point of view. But then, as I mentioned, you might have a book where the narrator is the inner mind of, let's say, the lead character. Let's say we're reading a book about a woman named Karen and her life story and her relationships with men. And then the narrator is like her inner thoughts. And then you hear her in dialogue with people. The inner thoughts, as a narrator, you can't play matter of fact. It's inside her head, and you're you're hearing her thoughts, so you have to connect with that character emotionally. So again, it's asking yourself what the genre and the story is asking of you and then making those adjustments of whether is it just exposition or do I need to have emotional input for of this point of view of what I'm saying. So is that distinction clear? Yeah. I, this might sound like a strange question, but do you read the book before you voice it? Absolutely. So depending on the book, you want to have at least one full pass of the book where I will go through and mark down what the whole course of action is, what's happening during this book, who are the players and the characters. I make my decisions. What is my overall narration going to be? 
It's the time when if I need to do research on uh, what things mean or pronunciations of words. So there's a lot of prep that goes in. And then there's a lot of improvisation. You do your preparation. And then when you get on the mic, there's going to be a certain amount of improv. So the more prep you do, then you can relax on the mic in the moment in the studio recording because you go, well, I know what I'm going to do with my narrator and I know who the characters are. Now what comes out of my mouth, I can let go a little bit and be in the moment of telling the story that this author has written. Like if you are Karen's inside voice, you know that she can be a little bit sassier or something like that. Yes. Who is this person? Are they a defeated person? Are they angry? Are they on top of the world? Just like you would prepare a character for a play or a film, you need to know who they are and what their point of view, because then the voice needs to convey that tone. If it's too just sort of generic and matter of fact, the audience, I, I do agree that we need to let also let the audience project onto what they're hearing. So it's it can't be too heavy handed, but you have to put something in. Mm, it's just good. about finding the right scales. What you said about improvisation is quite interesting, too. I know that in certain applications of voiceover, improvisation could be interpreted as I changed the words on the writer. <laughs> you know, like it, that's kind of more of an ad lib or changing things around. But in audiobook world, in narration land, obviously you're reading something that someone has written and it's a book and they have the author's intent and, and it goes a certain way. There aren't as many liberties, I would say, for someone to change things so far as what what they are saying, but do you mean that it's how you're expressing those those thoughts? Yeah, so good clarification. When I say improvisation, I mean do not change words. What I mean is how you're going to say them, what you're going to imbue those words and how the character is going to come out of you. To use the Twilight Saga as an example, because that was my first series and those were so many characters, men, women, young, old, creatures, I got to play so many things, and I didn't change Stephanie Meyer's words. I just, the way that I express this is, you know how a painter, let's say you have three painters that are all looking at the same sunset, and they're all going to paint and render that sunset image in their own way. That is what a narrator is doing. They are taking the intent and the language of that author, and they are rendering it through their voice. So it's going to have their style. And that's why some narrators work for some people and for some books and some don't. It's just really, it's about that marriage of voice and material, voice and author. Yeah. And on that note, and I don't mean to keep going on and on, but the idea that your voice could be better suited for a particular genre, is it just experimentation? Is there a way to find this out? Does a coach tell you? When I work with my clients, that's part of figuring it out. Where does your natural voice, where is it suited for what genre? Because like any kind of acting, actors want to do everything. But when you want to walk through the door of any business, you need to find a foothold. You need to find a niche. For me, because my entrance was young adult, for a long time, I did tons of young adult books because I had an adult voice that sounded youthful. I had an ability to be childlike and to be mature. So people heard that and said, ah, you'd be very good for young adult or children's books. Then as my voice kept maturing and changing, because I've been doing books since 2005, as my voice began to change, people would call me for different types of genres and would sort of test me, publishers or directors or casting kind of test me out and go, oh, well, she can also 
also do sci-fi and she can also do mystery and she could do romance and she could do, you know, female oriented fiction or it's going to take time. So maybe it's about finding what genre you can enter the business in. And it should be something that makes perfect sense. When you open your mouth, they go, ah, yes, this is a person that can do children's books, or this is a person that can do romance or whatever it is. When it's too big of a stretch, they're going to hear you struggling and they're not going to hear the story. Those are all wonderful styles of narration and, and people who've put themselves out there. Really grateful to everyone who auditioned for this job, by the way. But as we know, and as we always know, there can only be one winner. So for our, our male narrators, Ileana, who are you going to bestow this wonderful honor upon? Well, I have chosen the narrator that I just felt was the most playful with this material and, again, had that sort of voice for this particular genre, and that was narrator number two. Oh, the Scottish one. Yes. Wonderful. Yeah. I felt just very engaged, and I was along for the ride with him. He did a wonderful, wonderful job. So um, congratulations to narrator number two. Now we're going to move on to our female narrators. Very exciting. Let's roll the first one. The princess and her nurse were the best of friends all dressing time, and the princess, in consequence, ate an enormous little breakfast. I wonder, Lottie, that was her pet name for her nurse, what pigeon's eggs taste like, she said, as she was eating her egg. Not quite a common one, for they always picked out the pinky ones for her. We'll get you a pigeon's egg, and you shall judge for yourself, said the nurse. Oh, no, no, returned Irene, suddenly reflecting they might disturb the old lady in getting it, and that even if they did not, she would have one less in consequence. What a strange creature you are, said the nurse, first to want a thing and then to refuse it. But she did not say it crossly, and the princess never minded any remarks that were not unfriendly. Well, you see, Lutie, there are reasons, she returned and said no more, for she did not want to bring up the subject of their former strife, lest her nurse should offer to go before she had had her grandmother's permission to bring her. Of course, she could refuse to take her, but then she would relieve her less than ever. So I find this voice incredibly charming. I like the maturity, the natural maturity and wisdom she has in her voice. And she was very enthusiastic about the material. So I have to say her voice, her natural voice was very charming to me. It drew me in. In terms of her approach to the narration, there were some technical issues. I felt that and again, I don't know her. I haven't worked with her and her voice, but I felt that there was something a little in the diction that was making it a bit unclear. There was something that at times the words felt garbled to me. So we had to work a bit more on enunciation of our narrator. And I don't know if that was simply the way her mouth was impacting against the microphone. Sometimes that can just have a very slappy mumbly sound for some people. I don't know if that was a pacing or a breath issue, but that needed some technical work. She had great enthusiasm in the dialogue, in the character dialogue. I think her choices had a nice energy, but her characters could have been more distinct. In fact, I think she was on her way to having a, a really interesting voice for the nurse. Mm. That really made quite 
good sense. But the reality is, is that as narrators, we're never just playing one character unless they're doing a multicast. And that's a whole other topic. I've done several multicasts where I'm just playing one role and multiple actors where you're just responsible for one thing. But typically it's a sole narration. So this actress had a nice thing going for the nurse, but maybe needed more distinction for the child. So overall, her mature sound is nice and her enthusiasm. She chose not to do an accent which is fine. But I just think that there was some technical clarity issues. There were just times where I lost the crispness of words. I also, um, you know how we always talk about putting yourself in the mind as a character. And I felt like she felt like she was reading to a kid. You know how mm. you like you move the pauses and you're a little bit more extra. And I've got that feel from her from time to time. So it's like she was so close to getting all of the things right. Yes. I mean, again, very like a sweetness that that a children's and a children's fantasy would need. It just Mm -hmm. needed some technical polish. And we needed to look at her instrument a bit because I'm not sure if there was something going on with her tongue placement or something that was creating an extra sort of shushing sound in Mm -hmm. her diction. Yeah. And diction is very important. So if someone wanted to improve upon how they're speaking, what can they do right now to, to make a first step? It's always a marriage of awareness and practice. If you're not aware that you're not having issues with your diction, nothing will change. Okay, so now I'm aware, now what? Okay, now I have to practice. And there is such a thing of of too much diction and too punchy, too much force, and then there's where it's not enough. So recording yourself and using recording tools as a mirror could be really helpful. Okay, I'm going to read this passage that we just heard, and maybe I'll try to see if I crank my diction. When is it too much? And then just sort of listening back and saying, how is it? How am I doing? So recording can be a helpful tool. A little A-B testing of yourself. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and that's... Which a better traction, yeah. That goes for diction. That goes for creation of characters. That goes for seeing how your pacing is. You know, you could just do little tests depending on how much time you have to prepare for something. But it's very interesting what people think they sound like versus what they do. Mm-hmm. You know, they think, oh, I talk really slow and they happen to be a fast talker. Oh, I think my voice is really high, but my voice is really low. Like our own interpretation of our voice sometimes for some people is way off. Mm-hmm. So the playback is really important. Yeah. Now, I've heard you say a couple times now, Ileana, that someone was in the midst of finding a voice for a character. You heard it unfolding, as it were, in their narration. How can someone find that voice and get to where they know it is going to be the voice? And then how do they make sure that they can remember that voice and they can replicate it every time? Great question. So I teach at NYU as well. I teach a voice and public speaking class. And I spend a lot of time with my students there talking about how to make things repeatable. I mean, now this goes for doing a character in a Broadway play or a film, like you practice something and then you have to have the chops to be specific enough to repeat what you've created. Let's say with this actress, she was creating that nurse, maybe at home preparing. It's really about tuning your own ear, like a musician, knowing the notes. Okay, so if I'm playing the nurse, let's say she's doing her down in her chest, so she's making her sound more mature, and then she's making her sound bothered and you know, kind of disgruntled and all that sort of stuff. So she's gotta hear what she's doing, Make note, okay, it's in my chest, she's disgruntled, she talks, you know, not too fast. You're making choices 
your ear is going to make you remember it. But that just takes practice. That just takes a career. Over your career, you get better at that. I've interviewed narrators on my podcast and just in life, and they all say that it just took time, like a muscle you build at the gym, like it takes time to know how to do great commercial voiceover. It takes time to learn how to do good audiobook narration. That'll definitely set a few light bulbs off. I I can already see people writing down these notes and Mm -hmm. and trying to uh, create an archive, if you will, of all these voices and the uh, muscle memory that goes along with them. So thanks for that. Yeah. Let's listen to audition number two. The princess and her nurse were the best of friends all dressing time. And the princess, in consequence, ate an enormous little breakfast. I wonder, Ludie. That was her pet name for her nurse. What pigeon's eggs taste like, she said as she was eating her egg. Not quite a common one, for they always picked out the pinky ones for her. We'll get you a pigeon's egg and you shall judge for yourself, said the nurse. Oh, no, no, returned Irene, suddenly reflecting they might disturb the old lady in getting it, and that even if they did not, she would have one less in consequence. What a strange creature you are, said the nurse, first to want a thing and then to refuse it. But she did not say it crossly, and the princess never minded any remarks that were not unfriendly. Well, you see, Ludie, there are reasons, she returned, and said no more, for she did not want to bring up the subject of their former strife, lest her nurse should offer to go before she had had her grandmother's permission to bring her. Of course, She could refuse to take her, but then she would believe her less than ever. So for this narrator, it was really interesting because I felt her come to life on the characters. I found her voice on the narration that maybe she felt as if she had to be a certain way as the narrator. It was very pleasant sounding, very smooth, but at times the narrator felt a little on autopilot to me. I was missing just a little bit more engagement with the words that the narrator was saying. But when she was creating the characters, I felt her engaged with the material. They were more distinct choices. She went the route of making her characters even more animated sounding than, let's say, the last. She had that lovely childlike quality Mm -hmm. in her voice Mm -hmm. for the young child, which is Irene, I believe, is the character. So overall, her youthfulness and her voice is very nice for this genre, very appropriate for the genre. I just think that her approach to the narrator could have been a little bit more, I want to say natural, because there's something that just felt slightly robotic to me about it where I just felt like she could have loosened it up a little bit and had even more fun with what the narrator was saying. It's the assumption that the narrator has to be a certain way. Exactly. That they have to be, this is the box that you fit in, (laughs) but that's not how it is as you described before. Yeah, I think I would love for people to walk away with that because I think people give emphasis to characters because that's very clear. Oh, I'm playing a child. I'm playing an old woman. And with the narrator, it sort of feels like it has to be some sort of generic position that's very formal or very smooth or very matter of fact. Now, that may be the case for a particular genre. But when you just go on autopilot with that, you may be missing some opportunity. The narrator is setting up the scene that you're about to hear the character's dialogue. So if a narrator does their job right, the narration will make 
the dialogue between the characters even more riveting with what they've just said. So it's a setting up. It's building a foundation that the rooms of the house will be on, which are the characters. I never would have thought that the narrator needed its own character or its own point of view until you mentioned it. I love that tip. I think we've got, is it just one more audition? Just one more. So here we go. The princess and her nurse were the best of friends all dressing time. And the princess, in consequence, ate an enormous little breakfast. I wonder, Looty, that was her pet name for her nurse, what pigeons' eggs taste like. She said this as she was eating her egg. Not quite a common one, for they always picked out the pinky ones for her. We'll get you a pigeon's egg and you shall be the judge yourself, said the nurse. Oh, no, no, returned Irene, suddenly reflecting they might disturb the old lady in getting it, and that even if they did not, she would have one less in consequence. Oh, what a strange creature you are, said the nurse, first to want a thing and then refuse it. But she did not say it crossly, and the princess never minded any remarks that were not unfriendly. Well, you see, Looty, there are reasons, she returned and said no more, for she did not want to bring up the subject of their former strife, lest her nurse should offer to go before she had had her grandmother's permission to bring her. Of course she could refuse to take her, but then she would believe her even less than ever. Sometimes you just know. (laughs) You know, when a voice can take you somewhere and you don't feel like you're listening anymore, it's just something that is happening around you and and you're experiencing it. I think that's when the narrator's job is really well done, when you've done a great job, is when you're not even thinking about the fact that there is a narrator. Look at what we were just talking about, about the possibilities of the narration portion for the setup of the characters. This narrator did a beautiful job of that. She drew us in and engaged us with the narration. So by the time these characters popped out of her mouth. We were in the world with her. Now, again, we're talking about children's fantasies. So the rules here are going to be what they are versus another genre. So we're talking about children's fantasy specific because that's the text. But I found this narration very charming. She had that storyteller quality. Her choices of characters were really distinct. She really engaged. And, And the other thing was the agility between the narrator and the character. That's something we haven't talked about yet. One of the great signs of a pro narrator is their ability to be really agile between the what they're doing with their voice in the narrator and going right into the characters. And this narrator had a lot of seems to have a lot of knowledge about her voice and a lot of control and a lot of good breath and a lot of good pacing. So very good fitting to this genre. But yes, to your point, We are transported. And as a narrator, you just always are looking and hoping for the perfect marriage between you as the narrator and a story. So when you get offered something that you know is just going to be this beautiful fit between your voice and the material, it's, it's a gift because it makes your job very easy. You as the actor then get to just, you prepare, but then you just stretch out and let things come to life, as opposed to really having to struggle and sell things because either it's a badly written book or you're just the wrong kind of narrator for it. So it's very clear, as you said, when it just works. I felt like I was reading along as she was speaking. Like I could tell 
where it was her and then the narrator. I can see where the quotes were around what the child was saying. I could like, oh, that's a new line. The story made sense. Whereas with the other ones, I almost found like I had trouble understanding what was happening because there wasn't enough spacing between them or there just wasn't the right emphasis on something. And I just felt like I was on the next page, on the next page, like I knew. One of the techniques I do with my clients or anybody that I'm coaching with audiobook narration is we talk about the idea, we do an exercise which is about creating lanes for each of these things. So the narrator has their own lane and each character has their own lane. So that sounds very, you're like, what does that mean? Okay, well, the only way to figure out what it means is to use your voice and to create such good distinction and to have such command of it that what you just said happens. The listener almost senses and hears that each has their own space and lane so that the story is clear. You can follow along. You can relax. You're going on the journey. And on a journey, we've definitely all gone. So now that we're all back in our the real world and, and outside of uh, George McDonald's Princess and the Goblin, it's time to now pick another winner. So Ileana, the honor is to you. Well, I chose the female narrator that, again, and this is, seems to be a word with me, is that engaged me. Being engaged is such a great feeling. So I've chosen narrator three. Wonderful. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And, and as I say, like, and just to tie this back, like sometimes when a client is listening to auditions, they literally hear that one voice and that voice sends shivers down their spine. And they're like, that's the one, that's the one. And it's like a no contest. Everyone brings their own gifts to the table, but not everybody can be the voice that that person is hearing in their head. And because of that, here's a great thing for anybody listening to walk away from in terms of auditioning for things, whether it's audiobooks or anything. When you know that at the end of the day, somebody listening like myself or a casting person that's making that decision, when you know that they're going to feel something in their soul and their spine because it is that right fit, all you can do is just give your most idiosyncratic, personal, clear choice that you can and not worry about the rest. Just do your part. Bring your natural voice into this project, make clear choices, be good technically, and just realize that at the end of the line, the decision is the decision. You can't control that. What you could do is give a distinct enough audition that that person hears what you were going for and they will either know like, hey, that was the right fit or that wasn't. So Mm -hmm. it's just, it's a great call to just not worry about the rest and just give a clear, good audition. Easier said than done, but absolutely. (laughs) Of course. We've all learned so much today. Thank you, Ileana. This has been a great pleasure to have you here. So everybody, we're going to give you a chance to learn where you can find out more about Ileana. So where can we find you online? I have a website, which is my name, ilianakadushin.com. That's I-L-Y-A-N-A-K-A-D-U-S-H-I-N.com. And everything that I work on and also getting in touch with me as a coach is also available there. And I'm also on all the social media channels like Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And if you just put in my first and last name, you'll find all my sites and social media channels. And um, I have an audiobook listening library on my website so people can hear samples of all the books I've done. Every book that's on my library is a book that I've actually narrated. So that's also on my site. And people can hear when I've got new books coming out and what my projects are. 
That's all wonderful. And as we know, we also have show notes for the podcast. So if you can't remember, you didn't get a chance to jot that down as Ileana was speaking, you can certainly go to the Mission Audition podcast at voices.com. And also, I, I just want to remind you all that we have these scripts too on the blog. So if you were wondering like, oh, I wish I could have read from that book. Well, you can. It's in the public domain and uh, we've got that sample for you to find. Lastly, I do want to say that we want you to continue to share what you're learning here today beyond just this podcast outside of your studio. If you are in a networking group or a voiceover workout group, then these should be part of your curriculum. You should be listening to Mission Audition whenever you get together with your friends. So uh, with that said, I want to thank you again, Ileana Kadushin, for being on the show. Sure, my pleasure. And thanks again to my co-host, Juliana Lance. And we will be seeing you sometime in the next couple of weeks. It's been a great pleasure. We love doing these shows. So again, keep listening and... We hope you enjoy taking these tips into your studio and applying them on your next audition. Happy auditioning. 